get a little housekeeping going on here. Well, uh, let's see. Are we... Uh, there you go. There you go. Wow, that was uh whew. How do you come up with, for after you've gotten this this rousing you know encouragement about what a great person you are? And um well, I appreciate Jason a lot. Uh I want to send greetings from the OKC church and uh from our new leadership team uh which includes the Agardas and uh and the Colliers. Uh, we're doing kind of a team leadership thing with Oklahoma City, and it's exciting to see young couples raise up in in, in God and uh, and uh, choose to use their energy and their youth uh, to inject it into the church. We need uh, definitely more of that. But um, you know, in, in all honesty, today I, I come to you uh, with a bit of a, a heavy heart. Um, but our uh, if you see up there, that was from ICMC on the top, uh, whatever that right is, right corner. That's uh, a lot of the Oklahoma City Church. But uh, we, a couple of weeks ago or three weeks ago, we uh, appointed uh, Logan and Nikki Agarda as evangelists uh, and uh, as leaders in the uh, OKC Church. Uh, and today, uh, the uh, Logan and Nikki are in uh, OU Medical Center, and their newborn daughter, Lainey, is in ICU. And uh, my wife uh, and I have been uh, there to help support them, uh, but it's, uh, it's a pretty critical situation, and one that the church in Oklahoma City has, got, uh, has been praying for continuously throughout this week. So it's a little bit, you know, I'm going to start off with a prayer, if you don't mind. So let's bow our heads. And, and Father, we just, uh, we just want to lift up our family around the world. And especially right now, uh, Logan and Nikki uh, and baby Laney, uh, we, we want to see, we need to see a miracle, Father. Uh, you know, they, they are giving of their hearts and their, and, and their energy, and we want to give back to them. And, uh, and we truly, truly want to support that family and help them through this difficult time. And we just, again, pray for a miracle for baby Laney. And, uh, and today I pray that you help me to speak with the words that you want me to speak that here in this uh, audience and the, with the, with the disciples here today, that there's something that's going to resonate in your word, in, in an experience that I share, that we can share this experience together. And all this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is that the rest of those pictures is kind of my wife and I have uh, seven kids, uh, two in-laws. We got two grandkids and we got two dogs. Right. Is that is that a good inventory, honey, of what we I didn't leave anybody because it's a lot. It's a lot to it's a lot to work through. Um, And so we're. We're definitely, we've been married nine years. We came together as a blended family, thanks to Jason and God, and God, and God. Um, but it's it's great to be here with the Wichita Church. I mean, I have great memories. I mean, I think it was maybe about ten or twelve, probably twelve or thirteen years ago. I preached up here. Many of you don't remember uh, because it probably wasn't that great anyway. Um, but uh but I remember that I remember coming up here for the worship 
uh, uh, times that we had together where Mark was teaching and we had Rob Milner teaching and there was just a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, goodness. I want to thank the Wichita Church for taking care of Carrington, uh, Clover who was up at, uh, at Wichita State University. And, uh, she is my daughter's best friend. And, uh, and we are so close with the Clover family, but you took care of her. And so now that Carly's coming down to OSU. All right. Yeah. Boomer sooner. You know, anyway, we still love her. We still. Yeah, yeah, but she's still in Oklahoma. And between Tulsa and Oklahoma City, we're committed to helping Stillwater and helping Carly to just be integrated, uh, into that. So. Uh, I appreciate the leadership here, Dale and the Johnsons and just all the people that make up, uh, this, this, uh, this church and especially grateful, uh, to the Touches. Uh, obviously I love the Kraft family, but anyway, thank you. Thank you for welcoming me here today. So, um, I'm going to jump into this. You know, I'm, I haven't been always, uh, not having much hair, uh, my hair has been growing out. Uh, I've been losing my hair as I've been getting older. Uh, that's a that's a picture of me uh, when I was a baby. With a lot of it's a lot of hair. It's a lot of hair. You know, uh, on October 24, 1970, this is where the story starts. Uh, you know, I was born on the island of Guam, and uh, and uh, had uh, two young parents uh, that honestly were not very interested in being parents. Um, and so that uh, woman that is holding me there, that is my grandmother. And uh, with my grandma, you know, she raised me pretty much for the first nine years of my life. And with her, uh, I would go to uh, to live with various aunts and uncles. You know, people have asked me like, hey, were your parents in the military? And I, I'm like, no, just they didn't want me around. So they, so I, I went, so I lived in Los Angeles for a time. I lived in New York City for a time. I've lived in Pittsburgh for a time. Uh, I was going uh, to back, yeah, everywhere. I've been everywhere. <laughs> and, um, but I, I distinctly remember I was, uh, I was nine years old. And one day, uh, she left and uh, left me in, uh, in the care of my parents at our family farm, uh, which was miles from the nearest neighbor. Um, and she went to go and take care of my cousin, uh, and I couldn't come. And, and so I was left there pretty much by myself. My parents had their life, and they were doing stuff. I basically took, I was a latchkey kid. But back then, you could be a latchkey kid and still go outside and run around and basically cause a lot of havoc. Uh, which is exactly what I did. It took advantage of all that. But I can distinctly remember a memory that I had um, sitting outside. Uh, this is such a beautiful scene because we were on kind of a hilltop and you look out and you could see the Pacific Ocean and you could see the sun setting. And I remember myself crying and yelling out like, Grandma, why would you leave me? Like, I'm here by myself. I am here all alone. And, you know, I did a lot of things alone at that time of my life. I had to walk, um, you know, miles back and forth, uh, uphill, downhill, both ways, uh, in the snow on the island. Um, 
to the bus stop and, uh, and I used to get bullied a lot, uh, in, on the bus because I didn't really have any friends and I was kind of small, uh, not like I am now. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a really difficult, difficult time, uh, in my life. And during that time, uh, I really learned what it was like to be alone. And when you're faced with those kind of moments, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to over-exaggerate it and say, oh, it was, it was traumatic, it was trauma, but it, but let's face it, it was. If, if you go back and, you know, I see a therapist and, uh, um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm proud of being able to talk about my weaknesses like Paul, you know, I need people. I need, I need insight into, into my life because during that time of being alone, uh, I learned some great things. I learned to take care of myself. I cooked. I I did whatever I do. I was very independent. Um, I was very self-reliant. But it taught me that I can't trust people. And I want to say that, hey, my leadership, in my leadership, uh, ah, that's all. I've already taken care of all that. I'm, I'm cured of 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 that issue. But the truth is that I'm not. Uh, I'm very self-driven. I'm highly energetic. I work to get things done. And I'm fairly successful when I do things and what I do. But I've learned over the times of leadership that I'm that way because I don't trust anybody else to do it. So I just do it and I do it well. And, uh, and I don't know if any of you guys can relate. But, uh, you know, cause in, in school, great, great, great topic, right? Don't we hate it when somebody says, hey, we, you got a group project. Uh, group project? Group project means I'm gonna do everything and they're gonna get a good grade. Like, I don't. Yes, it did happen. I'm not bitter. Yeah, I'm glad you like that. I'm just, that's real, right? Um, but, you know what? Being isolated and alone, it does things to our soul. Yeah. You know, isolation and, 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 and not being able to be around people, uh, not being connected to God, you know, it creates feelings of loneliness and despair and having trust issues. And so this morning I want to unpack a little bit about that topic and our attitudes and emotions being alone uh, based on two stories in the Bible that give us kind of God's perspective, right, on, on, on how we were created and why we were created and what makes us tick and what makes us want to be alone and not be involved with people. So, um, you know, we're living... In probably the most connected time in human history, right? There's, there's people, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's WhatsApp, there's, you know, Twitter, there's, you know, whatever. What app, whatever app you're into, it's there. And you probably should get off Instagram right now, because I know some of you are looking at your Instagram feed. Just saying. Anyway. But, we're, we're the most connected that we've ever been in human history. And yet, 
we are still filled with even more isolation and loneliness and anxiety. And you see it and what's happening in the world. We've got more separation from humanity, more segregation, more that our differences keep us apart than bring us together. And we feel alone. You know, how many of us have been surrounded by people alone in a crowd, right? At a concert, in a classroom, family dinner, or even sitting right here in church right now, and you feel alone. You feel like nobody understands you. You feel like nobody gets me. Nobody knows the problems that I'm going through. Nobody, Nobody's there for me. And we're discouraged. And uh, in our human condition, there's this characteristic. And, and, and being Americans, right? There's a characteristic of being independent and self-reliant and being our own man, our own woman. And I did this. I built this country. I built this company. I built my family to be the way that it was. The me against the world attitude. And that's opposite of the attitude that God really wants us to have. And then you top off that intrinsic characteristic in our human character and, uh, and then you throw upon, uh, you throw on that our human relationships and people hurt us. People do things that, that cut us and wound us deeply, which even it, it exacerbates that, that characteristic. It makes it even more real. Like, yes, I can't trust people. I, I just want to say, I really, I love Jason and Rachel. Probably more Rachel than Jason. But, everybody does. But I will tell you, I have hurt Jason and his family. I have hurt him and his family deeply. On, on many different levels. And the fact that we are brothers in Christ and that we're friends and that we're involved in, uh, uh, in Jessica and, and Bryson's life and, and, and we're, we're adopting them and wh- whatever, whatever it is, is a testament to God and what he really wants. Um, you know, and I'm sorry. And then for him to say all those wonderful things about me. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've had many hours of working through it, so. But, uh, but that, you know, through the hurts, through the pain, through the suffering, we're still brothers. Amen. And so, the one story, uh, will be in Genesis. And it, and it really starts at the beginning, right? Genesis 2.18. Uh, and it was funny because Mark mentioned the Garden of Eden, and I was like, "Oh yes, God, He always does that, right?" Yeah. It's like it's like we we didn't communicate anything, but God will He'll just make sure that I'm going to throw a little thing here to make sure that you understand that my hand is moving here. Yeah. And so the first story is in the Garden of Eden, and uh, when He created man in Joshua uh, in Genesis two eighteen. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. 
It's not good for man to be alone. And, and where do we hear this 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 verse the most? Weddings, Weddings right? Everybody loves that, right? They, they, the the preacher or whoever's the minister that's marrying people, there it's like, yeah, it's not good for man to be alone. And but it's not just it's not just male female relationships or a husband and wife relationship that he's talking about. He's seriously talking about, look, as individual human beings, we are not created to just be alone. To just be alone. And we need each other. Because we're created in God's image and God is relational. Right? If God wasn't relational, then it'd just be God. But it's God, it's the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus Christ, all together. You know, there's a relationship. There's nothing in this universe. There is, I'll, I'll throw it out there if anybody wants to really think about it. There is nothing in this universe that acts on itself without affecting anything else around it. There is nothing. You know, it's, you know, that, that saying like a butterfly flaps its wings and there's like a typhoon in, in, in China or whatever. It's a bad representation of that. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't, I didn't prep that one. That was like coming off the, but anyway, you get it, right? One action over here by something we have no idea what happens later on. You know, and, and, and let's not, let's not talk about Interstellar, that movie. Uh, and, and all of that time, whatever, I mean, it, it's, but it's, it's, it's expressing the idea that we are all connected. We are all connected. And the place where we're even supposed to be more connected is here in the family of God, here in the church, here in our relationships. That is where our connections should be the realest. And when I say real, I don't mean perfect. Real being... Sometimes we hurt each other. Sometimes we say things. Sometimes we do things. Sometimes we are just idiots and we like we go off the rocker and we need people to reel us in. We need people to fight for us. That's how we were created. And so going down that story in Genesis 3, you know, we, we kind of know this, but I'm going to quickly go through that, that, that passage. It says, now the serpent was, it starts in verse 1 in, in Genesis 3. It says that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit. From the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the man saw, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing for the eye, and also desirable for gaining women, well, women, wisdom, <laughs> On the stream, you gotta bleep that out. What, what, wisdom! Amen. 
you single brothers, you don't want that fruit yet. So don't, don't worry about it. So she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, "Who? What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate it. Wow. Right. I mean, it was so good. Like um, life in the Garden of Eden was wonderful. And all man had to do was just be obedient. Just, God said, you know, like, I can eat from anything, just not that one. Okay, God, I don't know why. I won't eat it. Man, where would we be if that happened? We'd be in the Garden of Eden. Somebody probably would have eaten the fruit, you know. And when Adam and Eve chose to get on the same level with God, and when God comes to them, they hide. They hide because they were ashamed, they were guilty, they were afraid of the repercussions of their actions. And sin came into the world. You know, Satan knows where to attack us, right? And he knows how God's created us. And so... He attacked them by giving them the opportunity to be self-reliant, to be on the same level as God. Like, I don't have to rely on God. You can be God. And you may not say it out loud, but how many of us right now are living as if we do not need to walk with God? Of course, Say, no, I don't need God. God, I need you. But if you really do an honest assessment of your time, resources, where they're all going, would, would God say that, yeah, you're walking with me, you're living with me. And that we don't need to rely on him because we can take care of things on our own. Right? I've I've done pretty well without having to rely on God. I'll just continue to do that. And that question that I always think is very uh, is is very interesting that God asks, "Where are you?" Has anybody ever thought about that? Has anybody ever thought, "Why would God need to ask where where are you?" I mean, is not God? Uh, omnipotent, omniscient, does he not know everything? So why would God even ask, where are you? He should know. 
you know, and and the thing is, is that the 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 normal flow of of the the relationship before they eat the apple is that God comes down and He's spending time with Adam and Eve, and they're walking through the garden, and they're probably talking and you know interacting and having a relationship, and then God comes to connect with them one day, and He's like, "Wait, where are you?" And like, are you? Are you open? Are you here? Are you ready to go? Why are you hiding? And um, and the, the interesting part is I did a study on uh, on kind of where where are you and that that whole question because it's it's interesting. Like how many times we read that and we don't ever think about the fact that God should not have to ask that question. He should just automatically know. So let me let me throw a little bit of Bible nerdly. Uh, you know, the, that, that goes along with this. Um, you know, there's, there's a connection. If you want to look at it, there's a connection between this Genesis, uh, where are you, uh, and I'm walking with you, and Leviticus 2612, uh, which, uh, is, is where God says to the Israelites, I will walk with you and be your God and you will be my people, right? There's a, there's a connection there. And this, this, this idea of God saying, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk with you, it's not just like, hey, we're gonna do like some physical activity and just like get out and and stretch, right? He, it's really it it signifies that God is going on a really cool journey, and He's like, wait, you're you should be here with me so that we can go on this journey together. Right, and it's uh, it's really interesting. If anybody wants to look at kind of that teaching, I uh, there's a there's a um, an Aleph Beta channel on YouTube, which is an old uh, rabbi uh, teacher, um, and he does a lot, a lot of these older uh, studies and getting us through the weeds of the Hebrew uh, because I'm not an expert on Hebrew, um, but there. So then, when they're talking about God asking where, you know, the word where. Actually, in Hebrew, has two meanings, right? There's, and I'm definitely, if anybody knows Hebrew, please do not check. I don't know how to pronounce Hebrew words, but there's "afo" is the word uh, "where," and it it's, denotes more location, right? Hey, where's my tablet? My tablet is right, is here. Where here? It's the location, this spot right here. But then the word that's being used is actually the other word, which is aye, uh, which is more about why are you not here with me? What? Why are you, why are you here not choosing to join in this journey that I'm going to take you on? Why are you choosing to miss out on this opportunity by shutting God out and hiding and being away from? Like, you gotta come. You gotta come. And so where are you? Where are you? Like, that's not rhetorical. That is me really asking you to think about, hey, where are you? Are you on this journey that God is wanting us to get to? You know? And, uh, and one of the, one of the, 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 the another interesting story that, um, was in, was in Matthew, Matthew 22, I think about the wedding, right? Where God is, is out and he's inviting all the people, right? And their response is, yeah, I'm too busy. I got things to do. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And so, so the, the king is like, 
well, forget about those people. Just invite anybody and invite everybody. And he was talking about like the Israelites. It's like there's a special invitation that's gone out to you. And you have been too busy. And so now, I just want to invite anybody that wants to come to this wedding. Anybody that wants to come on this journey that I'm going to take them. And is that you? Which which people are we here? Are we the people that want to go on this journey? Or are we the people that are too busy to go on this journey with God? Where are you? You know, my uh, my daughter and I, we uh, we share a love for uh, musical theater. My daughter actually went to school to uh, to be a technical director, uh, and uh, it's actually working at the Santa Fe Opera right now. Uh, we got a chance to go up there, and it's yeah, one of the best, one of the best. beautiful, beautiful. If you got if you're in Santa Fe, take a visit to that opera house. It's incredible the backdrop. Cruces Mountains, and it's just beautiful. Um, but uh, one uh, on her senior uh, trip, uh, senior year that we take, I, I took her to New York City and to Broadway, and we stood in lines uh, early just to get into some of our favorite shows. I got to see Sarah Bareilles doing uh, Waitress, and then, uh, but uh, but this this song that we're going to play is from Dear Evan Hansen, which is a Tony Award-winning musical. And that talks about relational struggles through the eyes of a teenage boy and suicide. And uh, I want to say that I saw it with the original Broadway cast, uh, but I didn't. My daughter did uh, because she had 300 bucks to fess up so that she could get like front row seats. And uh, I paid $15 to see Alien versus Predator <laughs> in, a, in a nearby music house. So, again, not bitter at all about that. But I want you to listen to the song and listen to the lyrics because I think it really talks about, again, uh, a human condition uh, that, that we should all really be aware of. So let's hope this works. Yeah, it was playing, but I think there is a slow slowdown in the... In the um, audio it's like a, you want me to sing it is that is that what we want um you know what here give me the yeah give me the i'll, I'll read you the lyrics uh, unless unless by the time that it takes her to get it pulled up they actually make it and i could there that's better yeah I think that's it. You saved. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? Have you ever felt like you could disappear? Like you could fall and no one would hear? Well, let that lonely feeling wash away Maybe there's a reason to believe you'll be okay 
Cause when you don't feel strong enough to stand You can reach, reach out your hand And oh, someone will come running And I know they'll take you home Even when the dark comes crashing through When you need a friend to carry you And when you're broken on the ground You will be found So let the sun come streaming in Cause you'll reach up and you'll rise again Lift your head and look around You will be found 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 Next slide. Thank you. You know, so this reminds me of, uh, of one last story in the Bible, and it's the story in Elijah's life. And uh, we know the story of First Kings 18. When Elijah, he had this great victory over the prophets of Baal, right? And I really like Elijah, because Elijah is one of those guys, I feel like I can relate to that guy, because he's funny. And he's like making fun of the prophets and he's, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's a good time. And, uh, and then in chapter 19, Jezebel threatens his life. And, uh, and, uh, you know, what does he do? This powerful prophet. He runs. <laughs> and he hides in a, in a, and in 1 Kings 19.7, right, you know, so he runs, he's by himself. And in Elijah's weariness and despair, God nourished him, right? 1 Kings 19.7, gave him food, gave him water. In Elijah's fear and loneliness, God spoke to him in a whisper and gave him direction while he was in the cave. And so in, in verse 13 of First uh, Kings 19, when Elijah heard it, he, uh, and this is when he spoke to him in a wh- whisper, he said, when Elijah heard it, he pulled a cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel uh, Meholah to succeed him as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, 
all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And you got to put yourself in, in Elijah's place here. He was, he was so discouraged and he felt so alone that he left. And you heard what he said to God? He said, like, I'm the only prophet left. Like, nobody loves God but me. I'm the only one. Right? But that's a natural, that's a natural feeling. Maybe you've given up so much for Christ. And you're, 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 you're like, totally don't understand what's going on. Or maybe you're, you're trying to figure something out and nothing seems to be working. Maybe you're dealing with a sin you just can't seem to overcome and you're just like, I can't do it. And we think, man, we're alone. I'm alone in all this. And yet, even in Elijah's aloneness, God was taking care of him. And even when Elijah did not think that there was anybody else that was trying to do God's work, God said, look, here are some guys. You anoint them. They'll be with you. They're in this fight. And you know what? There's also 7,000 people whose knees have not bowed down to, uh, to Baal. So you're not alone. Because when you're feeling alone, you know, God is there. God gives you also a family of believers to strengthen you. And all you need to do is reach out to each other. Connect with each other. Love each other. Give grace to one another. Look in the Bible because I'm pretty sure that it's saying all those same things <laughs> to you already. I'm telling you. I can't tell you how important this idea of us not being alone is. It, it's down to the core of who we are. And you need to stop, stop hiding. Stop hiding from God when He's out here looking for you. Like you can't hide. God knows you're there. And God wants you to be on this journey with Him. You know, so let the sun, S-O-N, come streaming in. Because you'll reach up and you'll rise again. Lift your head and look around. And you will be found. God's glory. Thank you. Amen.